here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake podcast. My name is Dosta, and today I'd like to talk about relative intelligence. This is something that gets at the differences between human beings. That is a huge point of life. It's a huge part of life, is the differences between each of us here on this planet. Relative intelligence is this phrase that you can have bouncing around and you can use as something to be aware of the differences and to come at, to tackle this on the surface seemingly gargantuan thing to tackle, which is how to deal with the differences between each of us between you and me, between you and someone else, between someone else and anyone else. And it's a real effective, it's a really effective skewer for opening up your perspective of yourself and also of others and of life. The difference between you and everyone else is not going away anytime soon. And how we all relate to each other on this planet, in this world, at this time, well, that's also not going away anytime soon. And this thing, this looming monstrosity or giant, I don't know if monstrosity is the right word really, but it's this big thing, this huge thing, this global culture. And relative intelligence is one way of coming at it simply and getting a foot into the door. So, relativity, Einstein's theory of relativity, everything is relative. Have you heard that before? It's all relative. (laughs) This was one of the fun phrases we used to say as teenagers, me and my friends. We'd be having a philosophical conversation about music or life or psychology or something, and then When the conversation was coming to an end, there was always someone that said, it's all relative, really. Everything is relative. (laughs) And somehow that always seemed to end the conversation. You just couldn't argue with that. Of course, it's all relative is an absolutism. And there are multiple absolutisms. And that's a rabbit hole that will go down soon enough. But basically, relativity is, well, what in relation to what? How is it contrast? 
How is it different? How is it related? What are the interactions? Where's the point of contact? What occurs when you put those two things together? And in this conversation, we say what occurs when we put one person's intelligence next to another's? How do we relate? How do we contrast? How do we see the difference? What happens with that interaction? And of course, a theory of intelligence or an idea or a definition of intelligence is a little bit slippery. There's all sorts of slippery things that we can fall into. But for the purposes of this conversation, we can say intelligence is just whatever you think it is. It doesn't matter too much about it. Now, we have talked in the past about Howard Gardner, who was a psychologist who discovered or developed this theory of multiple intelligences. And he actually had these divisions in intelligence to show people's skills to show what was a good way of working or a good way of being or a successful expression of intelligence. And this is also used in integral theory, which is pioneered by Ken Wilber. And he, used mul- he uses multiple lines of intelligence through waves of development, through levels of intelligence and through levels of being, and through states of being. It's rather a complex matrix. So, we've talked about in the, that in the past, that is the episode called Howard Gardner, Be Many Intelligent. I think that's what I titled it. So you can listen to that for a more wandering discussion of what is intelligence. But for here, any old Any old definition will do for what intelligence is. And I want to get us in touch with two things. One is how intelligent someone can be. How intelligent you are. And this is three things. Also, how we deal with with unintelligence. We can say stupidity, stupidity, idiocy. And the question is, well, the funny question is, how do we be intelligent about idiocy? How do we be intelligent with the unintelligent? So these three things of the most intelligent, your intelligence, and unintelligence, these are related to you. How do they relate to you? And how do, the, how do you relate your intelligence to everyone else across these three things? So the question is, how 
who is the most intelligent person you know? How intelligent does intelligence get? How brilliant can you get? Really? Intelligent moment. And we can compare you today to you at another time. You've had your brilliant moments. Do you remember them? And you've had your idiotic moments. If only you could remember them. Strangely enough, there's a intelligence, there's an intelligence in knowing your stupidity. Have you heard that before? There's, there's a wisdom in knowing your ignorance. There's a wisdom in knowing what you don't know. Well, that's what we're trying to get in contact here. That's what I'm trying to draw your attention to here. And of course, also, there's, there is actual unintelligence. We do have to say at times, we have to reserve this label of unintelligent for certain things. And it's very easy, I find it very easy to get frustrated and angry. My initial response is to get angry at stupidity. And there is so much stupidity. There is just so much idiocy. There is so much wrong with the things people are doing in the world today. There is so much happening that is wasteful, that is unnecessarily violent, that's destructive, that's greedy, and even just rude and socially awkward and socially unacceptable. And things that should be that should be socially shunned. But this is just my initial reaction. And it's very easy to open up a rant against certain things. It's so easy to tear down things. It's so easy to point out the mistakes of others. Why pick out the splinter in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own. Have you heard that little parable before? Take a look at yourself. Take a look in the mirror. But also, there is a time when you can see there's a stupidity in others and... You can move beyond your own frustration and I can move beyond my own anger and my own outrage to show a little bit of compassion, a little bit of a feeling like it's not their fault. If I understand a little bit more of their circumstances and I see more of what's going on, then... I feel quite different about stupidity. And it's for me to remind myself when I get angry at stupidity 
that can be a trigger as to say, well, there's something I'm not seeing. There's more to this story than I understand. There's something else going on. And if I can transmute that moment of outrage into that, then I can be a lot better off. I can be a bit more curious. And with more understanding, maybe I can help. Now, help is a different kettle of fish to what we're talking about here. What I'm talking about is recognizing something within yourself which has been triggered by someone else in a real-life situation that you are in. Now, normally, I feel that most of the time when stupidity is happening, there's no way to help it. There's no way to stop it. There's no way to interject. And this powerlessness is often part of the frustration of idiocy. And maybe that's something to keep in mind as well. If you think things are so stupid, if you think things are so wrong, well, why don't you change them? What are you doing about it? What are you going to do about all these stupid people? Are they a lost cause? I've definitely known that within me of feeling like you're a lost cause. There's no hope for you. There's nothing anyone can do to change you. There's nothing you can hear that will make you learn. There's no way that you can improve. You're going to be stuck where you are, as you are, for the rest of your life. And you're going to be choking and suffering and neurotic and so upset and frustrated. And you won't even know how frustrated you are. And you won't even see how simple and easy it is if you could just accept my help. You're a lost cause. Now that lost cause, that lost cause meme or that lost cause dynamic, that little thing, that's your story about the situation. If you knew more about that person, And you'd seen how they learn, in what way they had learned, and all the things they've overcome already. If you really knew their life story, the hardships they've endured, the things that they have come through, and they have broken out of, then you could feel a lot more hopeful for that person. And maybe it's just not your job to help that person. Maybe you just don't know the right way to help them. That's okay. There is something in... There's a difference between letting someone be an idiot, as in a hopeful, peaceful, it's not my job, and the difference of letting someone be an idiot and holding a resentment to them like, serves you right, you idiot. You will be an idiot. There's a subtle difference there. So watch out for that. 
And then we also have, let me come back to the this thing of how intelligent someone is. Now, you realize you can only see the intelligence in someone else that is already in you. There's an intelligence in it in recognizing intelligence. If you are listening to me, you already have an intelligence. There's a wisdom there in being open. And to be able to follow along my words and have it cognize, at least not some, there's a percentage. Like as someone talks and the words are going in, there's a difference in how much you comprehend and how much you don't. Now, on one end of the scale, someone talks and you think, I have no idea what's going on. I feel like an idiot and I can't understand a word he's saying. And on the other end, you can say, well, yes, I do understand this. This is so simple to me. And really, this this scale, it's misleading because... Saying, oh, I can't understand a word you're saying. Well, that might be the speaker's fault. That might be their misunderstanding of not having an ability to express an idea or to say what is important, what is intelligent. There's a a reward to being able to share someone's intelligence Really, if you're intelligent, if you're an intelligent person, then you can share your intelligence with many people. And you can make others feel they are intelligent. So if you're listening to me, we're not that different in intelligence. And in fact, there's a good chance you're more intelligent than me. You can hear a lot of things that I miss. You can hear sort of avenues and things that I drop. And, and in, a, in a sense, that's easier for you because I'm the one doing the talking. It's always easier to listen than it is to talk. It's easier to receive intelligence, if you're open for it, than it is to try and generate it and to put it out. And this goes the same with authors. You're you're always standing on the shoulders of giants because to read a book takes less time than it does to write a book. Now, you could say that the difference there gives you an insight into the nature of intelligence. Say an author writes a book on philosophy and you read that book. Have you digested all of that? Do you now... Are you now a, a beacon of light for humanity on that philosophy? Not exactly. So there, in that difference of how much you absorb from a book or an author or a speaker, that's how much intelligence you can gain. That's how much juice you can gain. It might be that you read a book and none of it sinks in. It goes in one ear, out the other. And it might be that that book's just not for you. It's just not resonating for you. 
And it might be that you read certain books, you read a certain author. Say you read, say you read all of the books by a single author. Say this author's written 10 books and you read all 10 of them. When you do that, there's it's pretty much guaranteed. Like it would be hard to do that and not get a really good understanding of what that author is about and what it's like for that author. So that wouldn't mean now you can take his job. Now you, you're not going to be going around talking about his books. He's still more of an author, he or she is still more of an authority on whatever he writes about. But this taking in, this this getting of of knowledge and of information, it's easier than it is to put it out. And really, these intelligent people, these really, I'm talking super intelligent, highly intelligent, brilliant human beings, they hand it to us on a silver platter. They make it so simple. They make it so easy. And there are deep concepts. There are amazing philosophies. There are multiple world perspectives. There are multiple worlds. There are characters. There are dreams. There are all sorts of things in this world of the mind, the world of intelligence, that have been explained so simply and easy. It's as if there's a genius talking to a a, a five-year-old. It's like you and me are the five-year-olds. And if we could just listen, and this is something that comes up in parenting. If you've ever had kids, I don't have kids myself, but I've spent time with kids. And this is a key part of parenting. It's how do you... You live in a totally different world to your child. And you see this child learning to talk. I mean, you can only learn to talk so much. You can only say, you can only share so much with this child. And if the child could just listen, the child could be more open. Usually children are very receptive. That's why they learn to talk so fast and why they learn so much. Then, then that, that, those two worlds are crossed. They're bridged. The relativity, the, the relation of the world of the adult and the child, that's the relative intelligence. And that difference between an adult and a child, we still have that. We have that, you and me, with the geniuses, with the books that we read, with the authors that we admire, with the gurus we listen to. And that, that gets really to the point of relative intelligence, which is you are, always, you are always surrounded by idiots and there's always someone smarter than you by a long way. There's this huge scale and, and that, that scale expands outwards. It goes upwards and upwards and upwards and downwards and downwards. And it's this huge thing. And if you could... If you could really open up to a genius, if you could really 
get into someone who is brilliant and has the knowledge and has the mind to explain these things, then that's a fast track way to opening up. That's a fast track way to some serious inner growth. Someone like Ken Wilber, someone someone like Ken Wilber is, there's really something remarkable there. Very few people come along like Ken Wilber. He's just got a world of experiences. And if you can read, if you can read a book like Sex, Ecology, Spirituality, this is a ma- this is a meat of a book. This is a heavy book. It's dense. Yeah? This book is when th- at one point in his life, the genius has said, I'm going to flex everything I've got and I'm going to pour it into this eight page, 800 page magnus opum, this, this crown jewel. And I'm going to use all the terms I want I'm going to use all the references, all the footnotes, and it's this thick hit like this. There's, there's something in the glory of massive mind, the glory of intelligence and just shooting for the stars like a rocket. Just shoot like how far can we go? Let's take this as let's take it to the edge of infinity. Let's find it. Now, that kind of book, there's only a certain amount of people who are going to be able to read it. Now, there's a good chance that you can open up the first page and in the first sentence, in the first paragraph, there's eight words that you've never heard of before and they're all six syllables each. Now, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. At least recognize it. But if you can, if you can even read through that book, like I have, then there's a real intelligence there. And and don't let's not kid ourselves. Like Ken Wilber is an absolute genius. I'm never gonna be like that. Ken Wilbers do not come along very often. So, I hope that makes a bit of a picture of how far intelligence goes and how far, well, we don't need to dig in too much on how far idiocy goes. And it's also like between you and me and you and someone else. And the other thing that comes up quickly is Intelligence is not devoid of value structures. So when we say someone is intelligent, we usually think of the mind and this whole thing of like reading books and knowing lots of books and knowing lots of philosophies, knowing lots of psychologies. That's only part of what intelligence is. There's there's intelligence by amount. Like say you say you read 500 books, then you've got an amount of cognitive intelligence. But then there's also what kind of books are they? What sort of structure, what sort of consciousness structure did those books have? Say you read 500 books and it's all about one thing. Most likely you're not going to have multiples perspectives and 
paradigm shifts and multiple structures of consciousness. You're not going to be navigating into multiple worlds. You're going to have a very rich world, but it's only one world. So amount of intelligence is different to the structure of your intelligence. And when we talk about structure, we have to delve into value structures. We have to talk about, well, what's important to you? Maybe it's not important to read books. Maybe it's not important for you to be able to read a massive Ken Wilber book and know what phenomenological experiencing means. Value structures might mean, well, in this culture at the moment, what we value is instrumental gain, problem, problem solving, uh, competence, meritocracy, industriousness. These are the things where you produce for profit, entrepreneurship. And usually when we're saying, oh, that person's very intelligent, we're not saying, oh, he's read a lot of books. We're saying, oh, he's got a very successful business. And that's really just a narrow view of intelligence because that's just a, that's just a value structure. It's just a point in our cultural development that is happening at the moment. It might have been a hundred years ago that the clergyman was the intelligent person because people valued dogmatic religion. They valued the, well, it might have been more than a hundred years ago. Let's leave the time out of it. I mean, there, there could have, I hope, I hope that's not too sloppy, but there would have been a time when conformity was what's intelligent. And you wouldn't really use, in that, in that age, you wouldn't use the word intelligent. You would say that that person is a good person. That person is a dedicated person. That person is sincere about their religion. That person is sincere about God. And that, on spiral dynamic stage blue of the mythic religious stage which came before where we are now that's a stage which is to is concerned with values of the good and the bad the right and the wrong the rules what are the rules and who can follow the rules and that's totally different to the paradigm of who can make the best product which can make the most money. So intelligence is a little tricky to, to thread between those two. And of course, we can go beyond these two stages of blue and rationality and the money-making consumerism. We can go the next stage up, which is the green meme, which is pluralism. And pluralism is a intelligence where you realize that someone's value is well someone's value is not separate from their value structure or their world perspective and you say you know what you haven't read a lot of books and you don't have a successful business and you don't really have any religion 
but hey, I want to listen to you and I want to know about you. I want to know about your story. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your perspective. Hey, you're a minority. You've been disadvantaged by the culture. You've been shunned by the culture. It's been tough for you just to survive. It's been tough for you to get a job. You've been persecuted. You've been, you've been put down just because you're a minority, just because of your creed, your color, your race, your sex. And in that paradigm, intelligence as we've been talking about it doesn't mean anything. We're not sitting there saying, is this person intelligent or not? We're trying to open up to let go of our webs, let go of our ideas, our preconceived psychologies that we use to judge people or to fit people into an understanding. And we just say, how do we really listen to someone? And if we really listen to someone, we can find that there's an intelligence there. Everyone has intelligence. And to sit in the same room as someone and have a conversation with them and make them feel as though they are speaking the intelligence they are speaking and the, the best intelligence they can, well, that, that is a very valuable art. It's a rare art. Now, this scenario of encountering someone there's so many different ways in which this happens in so many different situations. Pardon me. There's so many different situations in which this happens that it's hard to really put this as a be-all and end-all. But one way of saying it is, one way of thinking about it is the person in the room who is the most intelligent is the one who should be talking. That's the person we should listen to. The person with the best idea, well, they should be talking. But therein lies the problem, and this, this is where the, the green meme comes from. How do we work out who's the most intelligent? Well, everyone should have their say. Everyone should be able to talk about what they want to talk about. And we can work out who is the most intelligent. But does that necessarily mean we need to make the most intelligent person have the most say? The green meme would say everyone should have an equal share in say. But very rarely is it the case in a conversation. When the, the, the irony is or the problem with the postmodern green meme is that they make that their staple of judging others and saying in it, it's the little it's Think of this ironic scene where there's a group of people standing around and the object of the meeting is to let everyone have their say, but the, the green meme keeps interjecting and say, no, you're not, let, you're not being fair. No, you're not being fair. No, you need to let this person have more of a say. No, you need to let this person be, have more of a say. So they're controlling and they're messing up this equ equality in the with the urge to make things equal. So there's a little bit of irony there in what it's like to have the green meme relate to intelligence.
There's also a few things to be aware of in these personal interactions, which is the difference between a a mismatch of understanding and a lack of intelligence. Now, this is a curious thing, and it's happened to me a few times, which is when you talk to someone and you if you do this you have to uh, you have to assume the other person is intelligent always assume the other person is intelligent that's a safe bet but what happens is we'd be talking and we'd be talking about the same thing but with different words and we could actually work this out by going back and forth we could actually build this understanding quite deeply between us by saying, what do you think it's like? What's it like for you? And then I say what it's like for me. And then and then you say what I think it's like for me, but in your words. And then I say what I think it's like for you, but in my words. So we're both feeding each other what we've heard from each other. And by that way, we can verify our understanding. And we've worked out that we were talking about the same thing. We were talk- What were we talking about? I'm trying to remember now. We were talking about bliss. So this feeling of bliss. How do you define bliss? And we were sharing situations where we'd been in bliss and what had triggered it and what it had been like for us. And I didn't want to use the word bliss, but I ended up using it and actually verifying what his definition of it was because we went back and forth. So this difference between understanding. Now, if we had have approached that conversation where I'd said, look, he doesn't know what bliss is. He just doesn't understand it. He's not intelligent enough to it to do it or or he's not understanding my my story or my explanation because he he can't grasp it cognitively because he's not intelligent enough or he doesn't have the right have enough english or well language by having english as a second language that's a that's a funny situation if you can talk to someone who let me just put a flag there but basically to finish this point we went to the conversation assuming that we were both intelligent and we both worked out that there was something we were talking about which was different for each of us in the way that we talked about it, but same for our experience. So in that way, we built up this conversation where we were becoming more intelligent by feeding each other and working things out from each other. And in that way, you can learn a lot just by talking to someone and talking with someone. And that's the difference between talking with someone and talking at someone. If you are walking around saying, here's how it is, and you're taking in what people say and you're either rejecting it or not, that's not very intelligent. That's not an open way of moving through your relationships. So the tangent I was just about to go on was this thing of having English as a second language. Now, if you travel around the world, 
what will happen is you'll encounter people who have English as their second language. And there are varying degrees of differences of how well they speak English. And confronting that as are they intelligent or not, or are they just struggling with the language barrier, that's something that can teach you a lot about differences in value spheres, value structures, and differences in in intelligence. If you can understand someone's worldview when they have poor English, and English is their second language, then that is the that's the really the test of the green meme. That's the test of the pluralistic meme, the pluralistic level of psychology. So take it as a challenge to yourself to go out and find someone who can't explain their world with elaborate stories or elaborate talks and these big fancy words and referencing, referencing these books and referencing these psychology models, even without all that, there's an expression that they have. There's an essence that they have. Everyone gives off their essence. Everyone reveals their being in subtle ways. And that's maybe where you start to pick up on cues which are beyond the words. You can if you can get into their emotional profile, if you can get into their experiential happenings, then you can really get a sense of it. So there's something very charming about a person telling a story with really simple words, but it's loaded with emotion and it's really heartfelt and it really means a lot to them. There's a beauty in that. The hillbilly that's talking about his country farm, and he sounds really like like in Australia we call them bogans. We call we call a hillbilly Australian a bogan. I don't know what it is like in Canada or America or anywhere else in the world, but a bogan is a really. It's easy to see how they. It's really to th- easy to think of them as dumb. It's really to say, oh, he's a bogan. Like, if you say that in Australia, you're a bogan. Don't be such a bogan. That's similar to saying you're an idiot. There's a a very negative connotation there. But if if you take the time to listen to a bogan talk and you really let him open up about his life and he really tells you a heartfelt story, you, you can get a sense of, wow, there's a human being there. Wow, there's a whole world there which is so different to me. So this sensitivity to other people is, well, it's, it's a step beyond the rationalist success meme. It's the pluralistic meme. And the pluralistic meme is, well... I know you're ambitious, so the question is, what's after the pluralistic meme? (laughs) How do we go beyond that? And the answer is that we go beyond that by starting to be sensitive to a person. Not just through intelligence, not just through their value structures, and not even just through their stories. If intelligence is one level, 
and their values is another level. And then there's our, our, our emotions are even deeper. Then their emotional stories get even deeper. But below the stories, there's a soul there. There's something even deeper than their stories. And what it takes to get into that is to be really listening to them with open ears and to be receptive to them. Now, listening is its own art, and we can have a whole conversation about what it means to listen. But the crux of it is that the more empty you are, the less of yourself you are, the more you can enter into someone else's world. And this is possible. It's quite a miracle that this is possible. If you sit and you listen to someone and they really share with you, it's possible for you to experience what they experience. As they talk, as the emotions come up, you can also feel the emotions. And when someone really shares, you can feel their emotions. I feel you. You know that saying? When someone's been telling a, a heartfelt story and you say, wow, I feel you. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, I really feel you. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I don't mean to poke fun. But it's a, there's a point there of why it says, uh, why you, you say, I feel you, or I don't hear you. And maybe at some points you do say, yeah, I hear you. Like in my culture, when you say, yeah, I heard you, it's like, shut up. I don't want to have you talk like this anymore. You don't have to say it again. And I didn't really want to hear it, but I heard it. You know, there's a disdain there. So that difference is... That difference in words is an indication of how much you're getting from someone else. And to really empty yourself, to be open to them, well, that's a long task. That's a big journey to take. The, the path of listening, let's call it that. The path of listening is a journey. And it's got ups and downs and it's got ins and outs and it takes practice. It takes dedication. It takes a whole lot of things to have happen for you to really be open to someone else. And when, when you do that, you get a much deeper connection with people. When you forget about saying, well, is this person intelligent or not? Then you open up to really finding out what someone else's life is like. And then it becomes a thing like, what what has that person got out of life and if we we don't zoom, if we zoom back a little bit we can say you can say well someone's an intelligent musician or someone's an intelligent psychologist or someone's an intelligent business person so that would be where you go and you talk to someone or you learn with someone or you be with someone in that field for some time and you learn you gain a real respect for that person through what they've done and it's you it's 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 rare that someone respects those sorts of people and that's really the joy of teaching that's the joy of having a, a mentor uh 
mentor follower relationship is because the the mentor gets to have someone who can actually appreciate their intelligence and at that in that case we're saying well what what are they intelligence about but at a deeper level when you remove value structures and you empty yourself and you're opening up to someone in many different contexts and you're really going beyond you're having them share beyond just their area of expertise, then you have this situation where you're asking yourself, what has this person got from existence? What is their existence like? What's it like for them to be in reality? And when it comes to that, don't kid yourself about how incredible a human being can be, how astronomical, how far the human condition can go. Values of beauty, values of emptiness, values of transcendence, Values of love, having a big heart, do not kid yourself about how deep this goes, how explosive a human being can be. And it's really not right to say that there's values of love. Love doesn't really fit into a value structure. Love, it's more like something that, well, it's more like consciousness. It's more like awareness. It's more like silence than it is like a psychological value structure. And love really gets at the experiential nature of what it's like to be a human. And if you can start to compare your experience of reality with other people's experiences of reality, really be open to it, really be optimistic about how amazing it is. How good is good? How transcendent is transcendence? How beautiful is beauty. How silent is silence. And how deep does love get? How powerful does love get? Having these sorts of things in your being when you meet with someone when you talk with someone, then that can really open things up. That can lead you to really just mind-blowing human beings. And in a way, there's a double-edged sword to it because if you hold this, how do we say, if you hold this optimism, this existential optimism, for the human condition within you 
and then you go out and you meet certain people and you go on this quest, then, well, the trick is that you, the problem is that you're going to be confronted with some really ugly people. You're going to be confronted with idiots. These are not enlightened people. It's rare to find these transcendent human beings. So that, and, and what will happen is there will be a pain there. There'll be a hurt there. When you're opening to, to beauty and you get hit with ugliness or neuroses or frustration, then that just makes it even more painful. But you need to be open to everything. You need to practice being open to everything. And it feels like this has got a bit, a bit down a rabbit hole of where do, we, where do you go with experiencing more from another person? So this, this whole thing of relative intelligence, you can say it's more like relative being. And we can also say it's relative value structures, relative psychologies. And you can also say it's relative emotional, emotional profiles. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to it. And this, this thing of having a, a, an optimism, an optimism, an existential optimism of the human condition and the pain of confronting what it's really like for other humans to be alive, that's a... It's a contradiction which you need to contend with. Just like the, contra- the, the contradiction of how stupid, how much idiocy there is in the world and how much intelligence there is in the world. It's the same thing of the human condition. There's a parallel there between that and intelligence. It's just that this experiencing of the human condition, what do you get from the human condition? That's more... That's that's a deeper that's a deeper way of thinking about it. So as always, we finish with a little bit of silence. So if you're doing something and you can, just stop what you're doing. Take a few deep breaths. Be quiet and if it's comfortable for you to do so, close your eyes. Stay still and take a moment to just digest what we've been talking about and listen to your mind as to what people come up, if there's any memories coming up, notice any desires or any urges to act on certain things that we've talked about. Notice those. Notice how you feel in your body. If there are any emotions coming up, if there are any strong feelings. And if there are no strong feelings, notice that too. If you're feeling bland or bored. Or notice the absence of boredom if you're not. Just watch and be quiet and still and let these words bubble around for a bit 
let these ideas ferment. And I'll leave a little bit more silence before the end. And that's all I have to say for now.